Welcome to the Carrero Podcast. Before we get started, we would wish to inform our listeners Carrero is supported by edX Global, an international nonprofit where we work with K 12 students as they work with their local and global communities, providing service learning activities. In 2022, we are asking for your support to raise $20,000 to assist our students in their activities in creating gardens for schools and communities, purchasing and delivering blankets for the homeless, providing curriculum for teachers across the world purchasing backpacks and filling them with educational items for students in need, and collecting and delivering food and toiletry items for local homeless organizations. You can donate with Venmo using at edx-global, or you can use our website at edxglobal.org and donate. We appreciate your support. Thank you. Hi, you're listening to the Carrero Podcast. This is Malia Hoffman. I'm here with Fred Ramirez, and today our guest is Nicholas Irwin. Nick is a part-time lecturer and PhD student at Chapman University in Orange, California, where he'll be starting his fourth semester in the Education Leadership Studies program. After graduating high school in 2002, Nick joined the United States Navy and served on active duty for 12 years as a Chief Information Systems Technician. While serving in multiple overseas tours and deployments, he pursued his Bachelor's of Science in Sports and Health Science and took a deep faith to follow his passion in helping others in the Navy Reserves. Upon separation from active duty service, he realized that he didn't know himself really well, and so he utilized his post-9-11 GI Bill benefits to obtain a master's in leadership development. Trying to navigate the civilian world, Nick struggled to find his calling and decided to recommence his active duty service as a Navy recruiter. During his recruiter tour, he was mobilized to Djibouti, Africa, and immediately started his PhD program, a private rival stateside. Nick is a diehard beach volleyball player, a student veteran advocate, and a passion person who loves helping people and find and connect with their heartfelt mission. Hi, Nick. Thanks for joining us today, and thank you for your service. Can you share with us what led you into a career in the Navy? Oh, hello, both uh, Malia and Fred. So back in uh, 2001, I was in high school at Grossmont High School in East County, San Diego, and uh, as we all know, 9-11 was a very memorable morning for Americans and us here globally. And waking up that morning, it definitely shook me in a lot of ways. And upon graduating high school, I actually graduated a semester early. So in January, I, I didn't really know what the next steps were for me. I was hoping to go to an art school, um, but unfortunately, I didn't have the money to start that school. So I decided to go to community college and I was just lost. Um, I actually started hanging out with um, a group of people that led me to the wrong direction. And this actually turned into some wake up calls in my life. And the way I responded um, through family support was the military. And my sister, took me over to the Navy recruiter and she's just pretty much told the Navy recruiter, tell this young kid to do whatever it takes to get him to join. And I'm very grateful that happened because the Navy helped me in a lot of ways to receive that structure, get me focused again with what my path and direction was going to be. And here, 19 years later, here I am still serving. Uh, now, are you are you still in contact with with some of those friends? Actually, no, um, because my mom she's 
specifically made it a point to um, not have any contact with them because of how um, bad the connections were. Um, a couple of them, I know when I left for the military, went to prison, and I wanted to stay in contact with them uh, while in service to see where they're at and help in ways that I possibly could. And anytime I brought it up in conversation with my mom, she just quickly told me, like, don't even think about it. Like, I don't want you having any association. And and I think for the best, you know, she's trying to protect me. And sure. I think she knows me really well of just having a big heart and wanting to help as many people as I can. Well, then during during these 19 years, what were what were some some of, of your more positive moments and what were some of your moments that you kind of wish you would never relive again? Yes, yes. So positive moments. I, I like how you started with that, Fred, because when I think about my first several years in the Navy, it was it was very difficult. Um, and I would say when I cross-rated from aviation machinist mate to IT, I think that was where my positive moments really started to shine because I was able to work really hard to stay late after work um, as a mechanic to go towards this new direction that I felt better suited me and my skills and just work ethic. And by the time I went through all the training and the extra hours, I finally was able to come into that new position. And I felt as soon as I came into that position, I was around leaders and mentors who really saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. They led me down an education path um, that literally led to where I'm at in my education today. And I really believe in the leaders that I was around that helped me get to where I'm at today. Um, so those were definitely some of the positive moments. I would say the more um, difficult moments were when I first started in the military, I faced a lot of hazing, a lot of um, forms of oppression. And it was, it was hard to come into work and be faced in those situations a lot where I had to respect the Uniform Code of Military Justice and don't talk back to the people that were above me um, and literally just shut my mouth in a lot of situations and hold a lot of things in. So I, I don't think I knew how to be number one connected with my emotions because I bottled them up. I, I didn't, I would suppress them. I just learned to keep my mouth shut and not seek help. And I think over time, naturally, I would gravitate towards things that could help me be more aware and find ways to communicate them. And that's also what led me towards my educational path today and wanting to help others be aware of their emotions as well, too. Kind of a double-edged sword with um, just sort of like gender norms and bottling up your feelings and emotions. Uh, as a man and then also in the military you're not really allowed to have feelings and emotions and so it's just like the double threat but you mentioned in your bio and then you just mentioned now about getting your master's in leadership development and you're continuing that into your PhD but what drew you into that area of study? So I feel my whole time in service that I was serving on active duty for 12 years 
uh, out of those 12 years, I was nine years uh, on sea duty. During this entire journey, I was searching for who I was. And I was constantly trying to understand my identity, understand my leadership philosophy, my personality, understand others. And I found myself being easily influenced um, by others. And a lot of that came from just socialization of how I was taught in the military. And I wanted to have more autonomy, be more independent, understand how to navigate you know, my own life. And I think when I separated from active duty, I took some, some chances, some risks, and, but also some leaps of faith that led me towards this leadership development program. And I met this community of just amazing, compassionate, empathetic people who provided a space where I could really start to turn from this sense of being dependent to this sense of being independent or just being mindful of others as a whole and doing things collectively and being in democratic spaces where I really got to start understanding my voice and how to help others um, find their voice. And after being introduced to that, I just wanted to find as many ways as possible, whether volunteering in the community, um, helping other service members with helping them find their voice and their path and their leadership philosophy and just understanding themselves and others better. Wow, that's, that's, that's quite a road because one of the things that um, a lot of people may have done is serve serve their couple years and then and then if they went through all that stuff just get out of it you know just just for the reason that they didn't want to go 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 through it um and so what what kept you pressing forward um you know be, because if if this hazing was taking place and we you know and a lot of the listeners probably don't know what you know military hazing is like they probably have some kind of thoughts about it but um what what made you stay in and and you're you know and you're still in today i would say my family i would say leaders in my life interestingly my family doesn't have any military service but i would say from their generation they viewed being in a job or career a long time to obtain a pension um, is definitely worth it and worthwhile. And so that was an influence that, you know, kept me going. Military leaders where they saw my work ethic, they saw my, the self-starter in me, they saw that, um, like, I would go the extra mile. My nickname was Johnny 100%. Um, <laughs> so it was just this culture that I was around that continued to raise the bar in me. and. I think looking back at that, it's definitely helped me to become the person I am today, but I'm also extremely mindful of how am I influencing others? And am I playing a part in their life that is either helping them thrive or am I hindering them? And that's something that I try to think about a lot because some of the leaders that I in encountered, I don't think they were thinking about that. And you, when you were saying, like, how did you persevere through this? I, I feel that's where 
I just learned how to manage a lot of my emotions over time. And I would ask myself, how would others want to interpret this message or how would they, how would they want to receive this message? And how can I say it in a way that is inclusive or focusing on people's strengths, focusing on some internal motivation that's going to help people thrive as well? Um, so I think it's a lot of my interactions in the military kind of cultivated that way of looking at things through just experiential learning. You also mentioned in your bio that um, you're a veteran advocate. And so I wanted to know a little bit about what that means to you and what that looks like. Yes, and uh, thank you, Malia. I, I think serving, and Malia could probably contest to this, is that we're taught to develop those behind us. We're taught to have a legacy. And we are constantly looking at ways that we can leave something behind us or develop that next generation behind us. And when I went from active duty into the reserves and I was in school, I would the first thing I would find out is, you know, where's the veteran center? What is the veterans group groups doing on our the campus that I was serving on? How are we helping the community? Um, how are we aware of the students that are on campus? And I think that was something that came from my military socialization. But what's in addition to being socialized this way, over time I started learning more about what veterans are going through um, as students and how their transition affected them. And it just became this point inside me to talk as, to as many veterans as possible and understand their transition, um, understand any of the challenges they were going through in higher education, and understanding how can veterans find other veterans to be able to work through uh, any of these past experiences that might be holding them back from moving forward in their lives. Um, or how this socialization that they encountered might be something that they don't know how to get out of this mindset because they used to have structure. They used to be told what to do. They used to be told what to wear. And now they're in a completely different environment where they have to think for themselves. They're told to be critical thinkers. Um, they have to be independent. And so how do you make that transition? And so talking to veterans about that, everyone's at a different phase in their journey. And it's like, how do we fill in those gaps to give them that awareness, but also um, seek community because that was something that they were so used to having and they might not have that anymore. Um, I think I think a lot of people really don't understand that that aspect of, of veteran life is once they're once 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 they leave, um, they 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 may be lost. And and so I I I'm, I'm thankful that there's people like like you out there in order to help our veterans make those adjustments. Now, during so during during your service, you you got your map, your bachelor's and your master's. So on active, um, uh, go ahead, Fred. Yeah, no, no, go go on. So uh, during my twelve years on active duty, I, I did obtain my bachelor's degree right before I separated, and okay. once I went into the reserves. I pursued my uh, master's degree. I was very thankful that I got to pursue that full time and without juggling um, active duty because that's how I did my bachelor's degree. And I could tell 
the difference in learning that happened during my <laughs> master's degree compared to my bachelor's degree because I had a sole focus as a student. And yeah, I just really realized, you know, this privilege that I was able to have that not many folks get to have um, during their master's degree. And I think that's what just electrified this learning inside me that just wanted to keep learning and keep going forward. So then what, 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 or during, during your bachelor's, did you know that you wanted to, to go on for doctoral studies or when, when did you think about it? And um, when, when did you say, okay, this is it, I'm gonna, you know, because I can't imagine being on active duty trying to get a bachelor's. Um, and so, you know, so when, when was it that you wanted to go on for doctoral studies and, and why? Because a lot of us are crazy for doing it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, tell us that. I think this idea of what I was saying earlier of constantly raising the bar definitely played a part into that. And I was very results focused in the military while serving active duty. I'm not necessarily as results focused as I was previously. But while I was serving active duty, um, I would look at it as a way of um, how can I be a well-rounded sailor? And um, we would have leadership. We would have team-oriented um, type of involvement. We'd be doing things that are affecting the mission, uh, education, volunteer service. And so I looked at it as, oh, I can knock two birds out with one stone by doing my education, and it's also helping me um, advance in the military. But to, sh to go to this next direction, as you were asking, Fred, towards doctoral studies, that didn't actually happen until I was in the reserves, and I'm in this master's program for leadership development. And it was the community, honestly. It was the community aspect that I was in this safe space where I was working through so many things that I didn't realize I needed to work through from my prior military experience. And I was in a space where I was just around people that knew that I had to go along this journey and there was going to be certain times and places where I would have this motivation to go that next step. And I think because I was around this such a supportive network that when it came to this point where I thought about pursuing a PhD, I just had this support where they, were, they would tell me like, yeah, you could definitely do it. Like you have the ability um, we're here to support you. We've been through this process. We'll be here with you every step of the way. And so if it wasn't for that support, that network, that community, I mean, I wouldn't be going this path because I'm a first-generation college student. So all this is new to me. Yeah, I think um, I reflect on my own experience. But like in most cases, the times when I've taken the leap to do something which I thought in my head was completely crazy was when someone else said, yeah, you can do that. You should do that. Why not? And I think that that's sometimes all you need, right? And like a PhD is a huge endeavor. And sometimes it just takes like one person to support you and say, yeah, you can totally do that. And it's just, it's a test of tenacity, really. But I think um, that's a good lead in to what you're doing now at Chapman, you're teaching. Can you tell us about um, what classes you're teaching and then 
like any major projects that you're you're working with your students connecting your experiences absolutely so my main class that a lot of my attention is towards is a class that i created during my capstone in my master's program and it's a class that is called uh, emotional intelligence uh, mindfulness in the good life and it uses Richard Biotzit's uh, intentional change theory from resident leadership, and it helps students understand who they want to become, so this ideal self of who they want to become. They then understand, after exploring their dreams, their calling, their fantasies, this ideal world of who they want to be, they then look at who are they right now. They understand their strengths, their weaknesses, and they take different types of assessments and reflections that really dig deep to understand who they are and who they want to become. Understanding these results, they then in turn make a learning plan. And writing this paper, they're able to not only understand how they see themselves, but they also um, interview close friends and family and coworkers, and they do an assessment that collects data from six to 10 people, and then they find different themes and they write about these different themes to really understand what are the areas they wanna work on. So it's self-guided. And once they start to become aware from not only themselves but others, then they're around a support network in class where they can start working on these different behaviors that they want to experiment with and practice um, in a team setting. And after practicing, and experimenting with these new behaviors, over time, these now start to become a part of themselves. And they're at like this sense of an unconscious competence. Um, so this was my first semester teaching it after it being taught at Chapman for the last three years. And I'm just so excited to teach it again next semester. Um, okay. Anything that deals with self-awareness is a lot of the classes that I love to be a part of. Wow. So how, how have your students re responded to you? Uh, any, any stories about your, about your own students? Well, um, I was very grateful to hear from one of my students a couple weeks ago. Uh, her name is Noelle. And she was asking me about my network and who I knew and telling me her path. And um, I introduced her to Malia, actually. and. She actually wants to become a teacher and later a professor. And so wow. it was kind of this sense of giving back where someone saw something in me, they helped me come to where I'm at, and now I'm now carrying that legacy to uh, a student. And she got to participate in Malia's virtual interview session with administrators, and she That's got great. to see what it was like to be asked these different questions to help guide her in her journey. And just hearing um, Malia's feedback from her, hearing the feedback from her herself, and just her enthusiasm about this process, like that was the best reward I can ever receive um, in my life. Like it was so cool to hear from her. Um, so that, that's probably the most recent and biggest story that has came across um, my email recently. And it's just those moments where I really try to soak in and. Reminds me of why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's awesome. I mean, it's 
And I think that's that's one of the things, one of the pleasures that that educators have. Uh, and so, are, now is your dissertation topic what you're what you're teaching now, or is it is it something else? It's a great question, Fred. So it's something that relates a lot to emotional intelligence, um, but it's taking a different approach. Um, my advisor, uh, Dr. Whitney McIntyre Miller. She created uh, a concept called Peace Leadership um, back in 2016. And Peace Leadership is essentially the main driver of my dissertation. And I'm applying Peace Leadership with student veterans, uh, specifically with post 9-11 United States Navy enlisted uh, sailors who will be get, getting to go through this experience because that really aligns with my background and my expertise and nice narrow topic right like right <laughs> and they had to, they have to be deployed before and be right. served minimum like four it. years right i like it <laughs> sorry um, that's that's still my wheels going around and around the research my friend oh yes yeah. absolutely and it's essentially helping student veterans with their transition and they'll be able to become uh, understand what their military socialization was like, what their leadership was like, the interactions they had, um, have an, a full understanding of what that looked like by putting on different critical lenses. And then they're gonna go through this peace leadership curriculum, which will be with peace leaders from around the world actually, which will take them through these uh, different peace skills. And there's 36 peace skills that bring their self-awareness, um, to a, a higher standpoint, their interpersonal skills, their how can they bring peace in their communities, and then understanding peace from like a systemic lens. And after they go through this intervention, the idea is to see how this intervention helped them, and hopefully they can you know drive this peace work into their personal lives, either from themselves or for others. Um, so I'm really excited to see what. Uh, comes from it sounds really amazing and yeah. necessary right to just bring a peace perspective to military members where um that's usually not the topic of conversation between military members is <laughs> thinking about how to lead in that way once you become dr Irwin, what do you hope to do I probably come to you, Malia, and ask you because <laughs> that seems to be what's been happening in my my tenure. <laughs> what's the next step, Malia? What's the next step, Fred? That's right. Yeah. Well, Fred's gonna say we get you published, and I'm gonna say we find you a job teaching full time at at a university because I I feel the passion come from you when I when I see you talking about your students and leading and teaching in that way. So. But of course, we ask you what you want to do. <laughs> I think it goes back to that military socialization of yeah. tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and that's I think that's that's one of the one of the great things about university life is that there 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 are those incidences, but but also you're you're kind of on your own with regards to the research that you that you get to do. Uh, and I was just about to get into all the tenure stuffs, but I will put it on hold uh, because that's not the purpose of 
of this podcast. <laughs> we'll see it for another um, time, Fred. <laughs> I know. Um, so kind of piggybacking on what Leah was was talking about, you stated that you're a passionate person who loves helping people find and connect with their heartfelt heartfelt mission. How do you do that now? That's a that's a great question, Fred. So previously we were talking about first becoming our ideal self and incorporating mindfulness and also a restorative justice classroom environment. Uh, students are put in a circle and we talk about the importance of establishing shared agreements. We talk about the importance of shared values and respect within the classroom and the importance of um, respecting each other's voice. And there's something about creating this safe environment, but also brave environment, where students learn how to be vulnerable, connect with their authentic selves. And something about setting the tone this way can really encounter some interesting breakthroughs. So one of the breakthroughs that I introduced last semester, and it was, it was kind of off of this intuition that I was feeling, but I put students through a visualization. So I first put up this really beautiful meadow um, as a background showing a sunset. And I just thought about how can I engage every student's senses? So I started talking about their sense of smell, what they're seeing, what they're hearing, and putting them in this visualization state where they're just becoming relaxed. And once I started noticing the sense of relaxation, I started asking them questions of, now, how do you see yourself in the next 15 years? Who are you around? Um, where do you live? Uh, what are the, like, the work responsibilities that um, you see yourself doing at this time? Um, what are you doing in your free time? But it's, they're in such a peaceful state that once they were visualizing these different things, once we were done, everyone uh, was put into pairs and they started just talking about what they were visualizing. And then I actually had them act it out as if they were already doing it. So it was just like breaking into these different pieces that just from my prior experiences in and out of the military, I just kind of pieced them together and kind of experiment just to see what people's reactions would be. And after that particular class, I kept hearing my students um, referencing that particular visualization activity. And so now I constantly think about like, how can I engage my students' senses? How can I put them in that parasympathetic, you know, relaxation state so they can be relaxed and they can really maximize their learning potential? And I think being in the military, it was the polar opposite, where it wasn't a relaxed state at all. And, and so I think that's probably what also leads me to how can I provide and present that space. To that's amazing, because it's, I think, it, I think it's a, a wonderful exercise just to get people to maybe get, get out of their current set and, and, and really see and really appreciate what their future could could be um, because there's I mean I, I know just 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 from my own 
experience um, just with working with K twelve students and then and then teacher teacher candidates and masters and doctoral candidates. Oftentimes they don't they don't have that time to just sit and visualize and reflect uh, and just and just be in a state of calm uh, because oftentimes kind of like you talking about your own bachelor's you know every, you know everything was tense um, and life right now is very tense so you know providing those opportunities just to sit to be quiet just yeah. to think i think it's the contrary it's, too to higher ed right we're like get right. through the curriculum you know, get this assignment done, separate yourself from your students, and just, you know, check a box and move on. And I really yeah. liked how I heard you say um, how you want to activate their senses. And I think that really practices what you're preaching is essentially where being an emotionally intelligent educator, which is really a kind yeah. way to approach it. And and Nick and I have co-planned, and he's helped me create some deliberate formation of groups um, with these things in mind, too, that I'm excited to try out this semester. I just wrote them and put them in my class last week. Wow, so, it's time to write another article about that. Yeah, just keep putting it on our list. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I could be a co-author. <laughs> Absolutely. That's we, right. We need Absolutely. <clears throat> So Nick, uh, as we as we kind of pull everything together here, the final question that we ask all of our guests is what their call to action is. And so we define this as the one thing that you would like our listeners to take away from you um, when listening to this. So I, I think the biggest takeaway that I hope everyone can really narrow in on this is how can we believe in peace again? Um, for everybody. And how can we see peace as a way of guiding us towards change? And how can we start looking at more inclusive, supportive communities that come together from different backgrounds and be able to provide areas of dialogue, areas where we are mindful of our emotions and what energies we're putting out to each other but also putting ourselves in other people's shoes to really learn from each other. Um, so I, I'd say my call to action is taking this mindset um, and just being able to think about what others are going through before we take any steps forward and how can we um, see eye to eye in different things and come together as a community. That would be my biggest call to action. And, um, speaking out for veterans more and just helping them and help them reintegrate back into so to society, especially for everything they've gone through for our country. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd say those are my biggest thing. That's awesome. Well, thanks, yeah. Nick. Yeah. Well, Nick, thanks for your attendance today on our podcast, and um, thanks for sharing all your wisdom and your areas of expertise. We appreciate you. I appreciate you both for having me. Uh, this is the first pos podcast I've been a part of, so I'm just really <laughs> excited to be here, and thank you again for even thinking of me in this process. Mm -hmm.